Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Joshua Beck and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Joshua Beck. Well, thank you very much and welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. Dr. Beck is in family practice with the WellMed Clinic in San Antonio, located at Loop 410 in Centerview. And we're delighted every week to have him on board. He now is a veteran, uh, having had at least, what, three shows. Hey, man, you were rocking. Well, four if you count the first one I did a couple, what, four or five years ago? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So So you're a professional now. Well, thank you. And you seem to be enjoying it. I seem to have a little gray now, too. So You didn't have it before. That's exactly no. right. Must be the stress from the show. <laughs> and speaking of stress, one yeah. of the topics that uh, we wanted to kick off today with our special guest on our WellMed radio hotline, Dr. Linda Villarreal, WellMed at Edinburgh, uh, is end-of-life decisions. And Dr. Beck, uh, among your patients, young or old, does everyone need to make those decisions in an end-of-life preparation? I think especially for the uh, elderly patients, it's important to start having that discussion with their loved ones, their family members, and uh, their physician. Uh, but but I think really for everybody, even the younger patients too, um, even if they're healthy, they should have some idea or start to think about, you know, things. I mean, I know especially if you're really young, you know, it's hard to hard to start thinking about end of life when you're very young. But uh, it, it's good to at least, you know, plant the seed. Uh, especially when you're coming in to see your provider, to have discussions, at least know what your wishes are. Uh, you know, if you were to get injured, if you were to get, you know, accidents happen, you know, and it's it's good to know what people's wishes are. Uh, and it's good for their provider to know what their wishes are and other family members. So I think it's important for everybody, especially the uh, the elderly patients. Dr. Virel, how do you bring the topic up with your patients? Uh, well, it's always great to have the conversation when you're not needing the conversation. So it becomes more of a kind of a living room visit in the patient uh, in the patient room when you're doing an annual wellness or an annual updating of certain documents and preventive measures. So I bring it up in that scenario, hopefully uh, prior to any acute uh, illness that could possibly require a more urgent decision-making process. So I bring it up um, in reference to you're living well, you're doing well with follow-up visits, your preventive measures have all been great. How would you like to die? And, of course, when I first bring it up that way, it's it's kind of a startling question. But I said, no, uh, you know, you are in control of your health. And part of a healthy life is a healthy death. Uh, and then I bring up the issue of pain management and suffering, not only for them, but how they want their family members and their loved ones uh, to know what their wishes are so that they don't have to go through a painful process of decision-making during a time that in and of itself is painful. So I bring it up basically as a matter-of-fact conversation. Uh, most of my patients are uh, beyond the age of 65, I would say 60, 65, 35 so a third of my patients are before the age of 65. So once you start getting into that Medicare realm, uh, it is a good time to bring it up because most of these patients are nowadays in the baby boomer population. 
And as we all know, baby boomers know everything. So we want to make sure that we continue their education on the living will, advanced directives, availability of palliative care and hospice care, to be able to make this process just as healthy as a life that we've hopefully led. Well, let's break those down in, in just a moment. But for those of you who may just have joined us, Dr. Villarreal earned her bachelor's in pharmacy from the University of Texas at Austin, her medical degree from the University in Tampico, Mexico. She completed her internship in my hometown at the Huron Road Hospital in Cleveland, Ohio, and her residency in internal medicine was at Texas Tech Regional Academic Health Science Center in El Paso. And as we talk about the various documents uh, that someone looking at end of life uh, might need, you, you rattled off a few. Let's break them down a little bit. What are they and what do they represent? Well, one is a living will declaration. This is a directive not only to physicians, but to family members. It is simply a one-pager, you know, kind of both sides. Uh, a one-pager just saying, I, Linda Viriel, my date of birth, and so I especially want the following treatments to be given to me or to not be given to me. I especially want this person to, in the absence of my ability to make that decision, to make it for me. And unfortunately, sometimes there are many patients who have no direct living relatives, especially as you get into the geri- geri- geriatric population of your 80s, 90s, and I even have a patient that's 102 years old. So we want to direct to a person that is willing to take that responsibility about what we would want as a patient to be done to us in the event of a terminal illness as determined by our physician. And then have that relationship with that physician to be able to direct that physician uh, to help our family members remember that we have a living will declaration. Yeah, I think uh, that's very, very important. Another name for that living will could be an advanced directive. And so I think it's it's, it's pretty surprising to, to, to me now, and WellMed is making a big push uh, to try to get all our patients to have advanced directive and, you know, living wills on file. Yeah, my uh, PCP, Dr. Prince, until I got it in. And we tend to do that at every visit. They put notes you, on the refrigerator, notes in the bedroom, <laughs> notes in the bathroom. Do your yeah. advanced directive. But I think it's pretty important, especially, you know, uh, Dr. Uh, you know, and I agree with Dr. Villarreal. Uh, it's very important. You know, we, uh, we have patients that are elderly, and many of these patients have complex diseases. Many of them have COPD, uh, which may be advanced. They have congestive heart failure. They have diabetes that may be uh, not well controlled and may predispose them to certain things. Uh, some of them may, may even have uh, cancer. Uh, among other things. And so it's very, very important. Uh, not everybody can make that decision right away. And so some people don't like to make that decision. Uh, you know, I'll bring it, bring it up to some patients who don't want to talk about it. And then, uh, you know, I'll talk to other patients that really want to have that discussion with their family. And so it's very, very important for us to plant that seed and to have that discussion or at least start talking about it or thinking about it um, at our visits uh, with them. Uh, so that they, you know, are willing to make that decision, you know, and, and the nice thing is that we do have, uh, at WellMed, we have palliative, uh, docs as well, uh, who, who, who solely, uh, see patients who have, uh, advanced medical problems and who are sicker. Maybe they don't get out of their house as much, 
or they have dementia and they have other things, you know, that uh, that really becomes, you know, uh, difficult for them. But it's important to uh, note the distinction. Palliative care is not hospice. Is not hospice. So palliative care is kind of a step before hospice, uh, or at least that's the way I like to phrase it. Uh, and, you know, so it's it's somebody that a patient that has uh, medical uh, problems, which are advanced and uh, it affects their activities of daily living. Maybe they're on many medications, which also you know, run the risk of, of having side effects. And so the palliative care physicians with WellMed will sometimes also uh, co-jointly see or man- help manage these patients uh, uh, in addition to their PCP to kind of make sure that, you know, that we're, uh, we're taking, uh, taking care of the patients well. Uh, and so they will also share into these end-of-life decisions and help them fill out their advanced directives and their, you know, power of attorney forms and that, uh, you know, and such. Now, Linda, as a PCP, when your patients come to you and you talk about advanced directives, end-of-life decisions, uh, do you go over what the options are? You don't have to do X, but here are some things you might do. Oh, absolutely. First of all, like, like it's already been mentioned, WellMed does really emphasize the importance of at least bringing up the availability of these documents. And, of course, uh, a first-time view of these or a first-time conversation about these may not give us a signed, sealed, and delivered uh, at the same visit, but at least you're introducing the topic. So these forms are somewhat intimidating when you look at advanced directives or living will or power of attorney. Uh, for the layperson, that can be somewhat uh, intimidating. So it's all a matter of bringing it up in a manner that's a conversation. I, it, it's, it's what I like to have. I have I have been known to, of course, we have them on file. Uh, we go on to do not resuscitate. I've been known to drive directly to a patient's home when the ambulance was about to resuscitate him. Uh, because he had a do not resuscitate. But someone mentioned, I believe the previous speaker mentioned, uh, Joshua, um, having that form on the refrigerator wall, because basically everything is on the refrigerator wall, and we can quickly access it. So it's an important form, but the introduction of these forms, the way WellMed is doing it now, which is excellent, it becomes just part of the maybe annual visit, the annual wellness, even though we may see the patients quarterly or monthly if we have to. And certainly palliative care and our palliative care physicians are, are an added arm to that process of wellness and decision-making as it involves end-of-life. Who should you let know that you have filled out those forms? Obviously, your, your PCP, you in your case, and Dr. Beck for his patients. Uh, are there others? Should you tell your spouse? Should you tell your brothers and sisters oh, if you have them? Yeah. You have to designate someone. I mean, a spouse is obviously the more obvious one, but then again, the spouse may be even sicker or older uh, than the the patient being uh, discussed. So someone that will be available, important, but two, that is willing to accept that responsibility of making a decision in the absence of the patient unable uh, to make that decision. So you can't just put anybody's name and then that person doesn't know. It's got to be someone that you trust that will follow through on your decision, your preference for dying, and that is also this person is made known to the physician who will have a copy of this signed directive on, in the patient's chart. 
So it's important to make sure that whoever we designate, whether it's a spouse, uh, the oldest child in the family, or a very close friend, uh, to make these decisions. Now, someone had said to me at one time, and uh, Dr. Beck's going to jump in right after we do a little business at our end, but somebody had mentioned to me that the spouse may not be the right one because they don't want to let you go. If it comes to do not resuscitate, it comes to, okay, let's disconnect them. Uh, a lot of spouses uh, may not want to do that in the end. Yes. Has that been your uh, experience? That's that's absolutely correct, and that's why it's important to have that conversation. I can share a personal story with me. I, All I, right, I hold that thought, and we'll do that in just a moment. Stay right with us. We're talking on our WellMed radio hotline with Dr. Linda Villarreal. She's at WellMed at Edinburgh. I'm Ron Aaron, yes. along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. Caregiving is incredibly difficult and challenging for thousands of people caring for someone they love. It's a job that is demanding and often feels as if it's never-ending. Caregivers feel alone and lonely. That's where Caregiver SOS On Air comes to the rescue. This half-hour weekly program features nationally known gerontologist Carol Zerniel and attorney and veteran broadcaster Ron Aaron. Ooh, that's me. And remember... Caregiver SOS On Air, Saturdays at 7.30 a.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, and Sundays at 12.30 p.m. on Freedom, 1160 KRDY. We are delighted to have you with us here on WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck, and on our WellMed Radio hotline in Edinburgh, we're talking with Linda Villarreal, and before we jump to her for her story that she wants to share with us, Dr. Beck, you had a really good point you wanted to make. Yeah, so uh, just uh, the the big point I wanted to make is that sometimes, you know, we'll have these patients that will have these uh, advanced directives or a living will that's on file, but it's a living will that's like 10 years old. Uh, and so, you know, uh, with WellMed, you know, we try to update these as best we can on a yearly basis, but it's very important that if it's a living will or, or an advanced directive that's, you know, five years old, or older, uh, wishes may have changed, family dynamics may have changed, uh, you know, and so it's very, very important that when we have uh, advanced directives like that, that we try to update these as best we can on an annual basis to make sure that the patient's desires and what they want uh, you know, still stands. And they change over time. Because they may change over time. You know, things may change. Maybe they had a diagnosis of cancer and the cancer was treated. And now, you know, they're living their, you know, their, their best years. They're very healthy now. They've turned their life around. And so it's very, very important to always bring that up uh, and not just brush off the fact that, you know, that maybe they already have an advanced directive, but making sure that their wishes still stand. Dr. Villarreal, you had a, a story you wanted to share with us. Well, yeah, you brought up the issue that perhaps choosing the spouse may not be uh, the right person. You know, right. legally, unfortunately, it is the first in line to make a decision when the patient is unable to make that decision. Uh, but my, I have a story where I have a patient who has been on a ventilator now for over six months uh, with a, a terminal illness that I don't see recovering, but then again, only... God would know that, but she refuses to change uh, that directive. She does. She wants everything done. Um, second story is uh, a widow who is very ill, and the children who have never discussed what or what not to do, and 
the widow had a terminal illness and was resuscitated way too long in the emergency room settings because no one would make a decision. So both of those stories go back to how we how to perhaps have a conversation with our patients about how we want to die. Uh, anytime you mention pain, nobody wants pain, a miserable, long, prolonged, painful death, no one wants. Uh, so introducing the idea of how, how well we want to die. And so my last story is my own personal story where uh, my husband had uh, a terminal illness that was irreversible, unfortunately, in spite of uh, treatment. And, but he and I had discussed this already, and we knew we kind of had a code word, you know. And so we knew that if I, as his spouse, felt that this was not going to get any better and, and prolonged uh, treatment or investigative medications were not going to enhance his life, that I was to make that decision. Um, and so our code word was, it's time to go home. So it, to me, that was a beautiful death between my spouse and myself in the home setting. And that's really, and I share that story with my patients, that's really how you can have control not only of being a well-med patient in good health, doing all the preventive medicine, but also having that well-med clinic conversation about how you want to die. And the more you discuss it, and I certainly agree with Joshua, an annual uh conversation should occur regardless of whether the documents are going to change or not because things can change in a person's life from one split second to the next so a wellness exam if you see their annual anniversary coming up forgetting their preventive measures and their wellness exam this has to be part of the conversation so over a period of time it actually becomes a natural thing included in a wellness exam if we live well hopefully we can die well these documents will help us because it is our own orders as patients to be able to direct to those that are left behind. She's Dr. Virial. You find her at WellMed at Edinburgh. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. I, I want to share the flip side of that story. A very good friend of mine, I won't share his last name, Gordon, his father, who was in his late 80s, early 90s, fell off a ladder in his house, broke his leg, uh, and went to the hospital. Uh, and Gordon got a call a couple days later uh, from the hospitalist who said, uh, you know, Gordon, I have to share something with you. Uh, your dad's new wife, he was remarried and a very wealthy guy, by the way. Your dad's <laughs> new wife keeps asking me to unplug him. Well, Gordon, he only broke a leg. He's not plugged into anything. So that's the reverse side of using a spouse to make those decisions. True story, by the way. I think the family dynamics are very important, and that's why you know if there's if there's a, if it's a close knit family and there's kids, you know, it should be really just a, a you know a discussion amongst the family. Um, at least, you know, in my opinion, I think it now, should be. Now, can you be. facilitate that in your clinic? Can we, you have them all come in? We, we can. You know, as you know, we can't fit too many people in the room, but you know, there are conference rooms where we can have uh, discussions with families uh, if need be. Um, but, uh, you know, I think uh, a family discussion is, you know, depending on who's close to, in the family, um, uh, is very, very appropriate. You know, and the, and the spouse, you know, they may be divorced, and so it may not be the spouse. It may be, uh, you know, the sibling or, you, you know, one of their kids or, you know, I, I have uh, uh, patients who don't have any uh, 
you know, really family, so to speak. You know, they're all estranged. People pass away, and maybe they just have a, a caregiver that's been caring for them for the last 10, 10 to 15 years who would be the patient that knows the patient, you know, well uh, at the time. So it, it, it changes. The other thing to know, too, is that a lot of people have, a lot of patients have, have fear ad- about the advanced directive, and they think that uh, filling that out, you know, is a, an automatic DNR. And like, as soon as you fill that out, you know, that means that, you know, you can't be resuscitated, but it's not all inclusive. And so there's uh, uh, situations that can be written on that form that specifies, you know, under certain situations, you know, maybe you want this done, but you don't want that done. You want to have uh, chest compressions, but you don't want to be intubated. But most patients aren't smart enough, and not so that, necessarily smart or knowledgeable yeah. enough to know that and to know what the distinctions and, are. And that's why uh, us as providers, you know, with Linda and myself and, and you know, the other WellMed providers uh, need to have that discussion and be able to answer those questions uh, so that the patients can make, you know, can, can think about it and make an informed decision. And it's also a decision that they don't have to make at the visit. You know, we don't have to, I don't hand my patients the advanced directive and say, fill it out now before you leave or you can't leave. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we talk to them and then we give them the paperwork. We have people there at the office that can help fill it out. We have health coaches uh, that can help uh, fill it out. We've got the palliative care team as well. Uh, and Do you need a, a lawyer? Uh, and so that, that that's a good point that you bring up. And so uh, with uh, the paperwork that we have, uh, you can get it notarized. You don't need to have a lawyer per se. You can if you want to, but you can get it notarized through the th- through the state of Texas, and I'm sure in Florida something similar. Um, or you can get you know a couple random uh, people in the waiting room, some patients uh, to witness that you signed and that you filled it out, uh, and then oftentimes that will bypass the notary. And the other document that that dovetails with these, Dr. Villarreal is the medical power of attorney. We've been dancing around that. Uh, but that is the person you formally designate with backups in case they're not able to or, or are, uh, have predeceased uh, the uh, individual you're treating. That's correct. It is actually more of a, I guess, you're an attorney. It is more of an official legal document, as all of them are, if you register them and get them notarized. But a medical power of attorney designates a health care agent, which means that, uh, this particular person, regardless of whether they're the spouse or related or not, but this particular person is your <clears throat> designee to make all health care decisions. So it's not a global power of attorney, but it's simply dealing with uh, medical uh, decision-making in reference to procedures, like mentioned before. Uh, what procedures do I want? What procedures do I not want? And these are included in that document as well. And the important, another important point to make, too, is that that power of attorney doesn't come into play until the patient becomes incapacitated or can't, or can't make decisions. So, for example, no. what you shared with, you know, your friend that fell off the ladder and, and you know, the spouse wanted to unplug him, so to speak. Uh, well, that really doesn't put, come into play with a, you know, with a broken leg until, you know, the patient becomes incapacitated. But so it sure tells you something about it her. It sure does. So that's why, you know, well, the money probably gave it away. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably, you know, that's why it's very, very important to know who your power of attorney is. Make sure you can confide in that person to know your wishes and to know what you would want. Um, and, and, then, and then I will make a small point that a lot of, a, a lot of this also, you know, some of it uh, to a degree uh, is based on cultural views, too, as uh, different patients have different cultural backgrounds. Uh, and so in their culture, they may have 
you know, certain beliefs as far as, you know, getting close to, to, to when they're going to die. And so it's very, very important to be open to those, uh, those thoughts that they have and, the, and those wishes. Dr. Burial, we've got about a minute and a half left. Is there anything we haven't asked you that you want to share with us? Uh, no, not at all. I think uh, we've covered the actual basics of of just a conversation. The, the global the global message, in my opinion, would be have this conversation when it's not really needed. But addressing the beginning of the program, we addressed the age issue, and uh, I think young younger people in their forties and fifties should also address the issue of end of dying. Or you know, most of the, those individuals will have perhaps an un on, on an accident that certainly wasn't planned. That's why it's called an accident. But uh, being uh, an organ donor, I think it's important to also consider that as far as part of the conversation with our patients who are not uh, in the uh, Medicare age or in the older age group. Addressing the issue of end of life, if a sudden ha- accident happens, how do you want it to be handled? And that's a really good point. Uh, for the younger patients, organ donations are so critical uh, to sustaining life for others. Yeah, I, I, I would agree, especially if they're young and healthy and, and uh, an unfortunate traumatic accident happens. They get into a car accident or they fall off a ladder, for example. And, uh, you know, then it's important, you know, they can save other people's lives by doing that. Thank you very much, Dr. Joshua Beck, our co-host. And uh, Linda B. Real, we are flat out of time. WellMed at Edinburgh. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. You've been listening to WellMed Radio, and we're delighted to have you on board. Talk with you soon. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.